Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Amen, amen, amen. It is so good to just be in the house, and it is so good to to see people here. I was checking out online, too. There's a dozen or so people online, so it's so good to just kind of connect and just sense that God is moving. Hey, we're wrapping up a, a great series that we've been doing on God of Restoration. If you haven't been following along in this series, I want to encourage you to go online and just, you know, find some time to, to set up and listen to some of the messages from the last couple of weeks. But this is week four of God of Restoration, and we're going to bring it home today. So um, as, as, I, as I encouraged you last week, hopefully you, you remembered this week to go ahead and bring back those, those, those paper Bibles. Go ahead and get one out, the one you kind of hold in your hand, and you flip and it has pages. If you don't have that, it's okay. You can use your downloaded version, too. That's fine. But we are going to want you to go ahead and, and kind of begin to, to build into that pattern of saying, I'm going to bring the Word of God with me when I come together for church. And so um, if you forgot it this week, no big deal. But in the weeks ahead, go ahead and bring that with you. Um, I don't know if you heard the message that Claire offered here a few months ago at the beginning of service. But next week and, and actually the next two Sundays, we're in for a special treat as Pastor Ricky preaches the next two Sundays. So come on, let's encourage him right now. Uh, you know, I know he's in the back. He's got a headset on. If you're online, go ahead and give him some encouragement online. He's, uh, he's working hard on those messages as, he, as we launch into a new series uh, talking about finding our satisfaction in Jesus, right? Being satisfied in Jesus. But today, we're bringing home the, the series of God of Restoration. So if you're going to take notes, I'm going to give you three questions. They're not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to follow along right now. I'm going to give them to you, and, and I'm going to encourage you to kind of keep asking yourself these three questions throughout the course of this message this morning. Here's the first one. Have you actually trusted Jesus to be Lord and Messiah of your life? Have you actually trusted Jesus to be Lord and Messiah of your life? So if you're writing these down, go ahead and note this. You're going to want to make sure you remind yourself of this question as we go along. I'll give it to you one more time. Have you actually trusted Jesus to be Lord and Messiah of your life? Question one. Question two. Have you given up your will and exchanged it for his will? Have you given up your will and exchanged it for his will? That's question two. And then question three. Again, these are not going to be on the screen. They're not going to be on the screen. Question three. Do you earnestly believe that God's desire for desires for you are best. Do you earnestly believe that God's desires for you are best? These three questions kind of sum up where we're going this morning, and uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, and uh, starting in verse 25. So you can go ahead and start fumbling through your Bibles to find that. Matthew chapter 11, starting in the 25th verse. And, uh, and as, we look at these as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to keep these questions that are just offered in mind, right? So have you trusted Jesus to be Lord and Messiah? Have you given up your will and exchanged it for his will? And do you earnestly believe that God's desires for you are best? Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 25 this is what the word of the Lord says. 
At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, I pray right now, Lord God, that in the same way that everybody here can hear my voice, I pray, God, that your voice would be amplified. I pray, Father, that what we would hear this morning and what we would receive this morning is a leading from you. God, speak to our hearts about what it, mean, what it means for you to be the God of restoration and for you to be busy restoring our lives. God, as we, as we look at these couple of verses this morning, I pray that these verses would begin to come to life. And I pray that the days ahead would be navigated in light of what you're saying today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so here we go. Jesus is giving a little instruction. I love the fact that Jesus starts off by saying, hey, God, I recognize that you have chosen how you want to reveal your message, how you want to communicate your truths. And I love the fact that he says there's people who've studied for a long, long time, and they're, they're still not getting it. And then there's some, some little, little ones who, who have never studied a single thing about it, and, and they're getting it. And, and, and God, you're doing that. He, he kind of levels the playing field, right? He says, you don't have to have the, the masters in theology to understand this. You've got to be able to be humble at heart like a young child. You've got to be hungry and dependent like a young child. And as a result, he says, God, you're choosing how you're revealing yourself. And he thanks God for the fact that God is doing that. And then, and then he goes on to say, and God, like, no one can get it without you. There's no other way. There's no other source of this knowledge. It is, it is only through you. And he says, he says you know, like, uh, no one knows me except you, and no one knows you except me, and those who you've chosen to allow to know me through you. And, I, like, like, Jesus in, in this conversation, this prayerful moment that he's having is, uh, is speaking, like, this this extremely profound and yet extremely basic truth that you and I need Jesus in order to have access to the Father. Think about that for one more second. You and I actually need Jesus in order to have access to the Father. We can't find him any other way. So this morning, as we talk about God restoring, and as we, as we land this plane, I want to point out three things that we can draw out of this text this morning, and I'm going to give them to you in point form. So the first one is this, restoration requires trusting 
in God. Let me say that again. Restoration requires trusting in God. Where does faith come from? Thank you. Come on, let's, let's, let's talk together. Where does faith come from? God, okay. Anything more? Hearing the word? You got to talk, you're behind a mask, you got to talk louder. And Jesus, you're right, Tommy. That's right, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so faith comes from God, but what does it mean to say that we have faith in God? Like, what does that mean? Like, I have faith in God, what does that mean? Believing, okay, what else does it mean? He knows better than us. Oh, amen to that. <laughs> Proven in my life many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, good. This, this is good. We're, we're, we're moving in the right direction. So then one, let me ask you one more. What does it mean to say that we have entrusted our life into the hands of God? Total surrender. Giving it up. Letting go. Okay. These are all good starting points. Go ahead and stay in your Bibles. Flip over to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts. We're going to look at a couple of verses here in Acts chapter 16. If you're following along, you're going to get right through the Gospels, and ta-da, you made it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then into Acts. Acts chapter 16. We're going to start in the 16th verse. Again, this is not going to be on the screen, so... You're going to need to have the Bible with you in order to follow along on this. This is what it says, starting in verse 16, Acts chapter 16, starting in the 16th verse. Once, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them there before the magistrates, and they said, these men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating custom unlaw customs unlawful to us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them, to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely beaten, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Now listen to this part of the story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were singing hymns to God. And, to the other, and, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because 
he thought the prisoners had escaped, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he, he, he then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved, you and your entire household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the other ho- others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and, was, and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his entire house. Man, what a profound story. I mean, did you get the pictures of it in your mind as I was reading it, right? Like this idea that Paul and Silas, they, they, they were beaten for their faith, right? And then, I, I, I still can't shake this image, right? Then just hours after being beaten for their faith, like severely beaten for their faith, they're in jail and they're singing songs of joy. They're singing songs of thankfulness to God. Think about this for a moment. When was the last time you had a a horrific day and you broke out into a praise dance? Like when was the last time you're like, you know, everything about your day went wrong and you were like, woo, glory to God. This is good. Right? Like I, I don't know about you, but like that's not my natural response. That, that doesn't mean I've never responded that way. It just means I never naturally responded that way, right? Like it took a movement of God for me to respond that way. But, but, for, but somehow in the scripture, Paul and Silas are like, hey, like, let, let's just let's have church. Let, let, let's celebrate. Let's, let's invite Scott and Heather and the band and, and have them lead. And we're just going to rock out with Jesus. And, and, and this is just kind of this moment. And what happens as a result of this moment is that God moves on the earth. The earth shakes, literally, the earth shakes. And as a result of the movement of God and the earth shaking, what happens then is, is, freedom, is, set, is, is freedom is discovered. Like, like people are literally set free, but they don't run to what they think would be freedom. They stay in the place where God is moving. Oh, let me say that again. They don't run to what they think is freedom. They stay in the place where God is moving. They experience the movement of God right there where God has appointed them. And in that moment, as a result, the lost are found. Think about this, the lost, this man who was literally about to end what we understand to be life, was, he, he was at the point of death, and God intervened in that, move, in that moment by his movement of the faithfulness of Paul and Silas, by the songs that they were breaking out in, and they began to testify. And at the end of this story, just hours after holding the rod and beating somebody, he's moved to a place of submission to say, God, I believe. God, I yield. God, I trust. And not just me, my whole house. Everybody in the sound of my voice, all of those who look to me to lead, I lead them to believe, to have faith, to trust. 
Oh, man. I mean, look, uh, maybe, maybe this story is very familiar to you. Maybe you've, you've read it a bunch of times. You've heard it a bunch of times. Maybe it's the one you automatically think of when you think of somebody saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. Let me, let me take you somewhere else. Go with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. All right? We're going we're gonna to keep moving here um, over to the book of Romans in the 10th chapter. So let me hear an amen if you get there before me. Whew, whose kid are you? That was good. That was so good. She must have my notes over there. Uh, Romans chapter 10. I'm in the ninth verse. If you're there, let me hear amen. All right, some of you are there with me. Here's what it says, uh, starting in the ninth verse. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then Paul says to the Roman church, you will be saved. Let me say that again. If you believe, if, if you confess with your mouth that what? Come on, y'all, say it behind the mask. If you confess with your mouth what? That Jesus is Lord. This is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that what? That God raised him from the dead, that he's not laying in a tomb anymore, that God raised him up from death to life. If you believe, if you confess and you believe, then you will be what? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says when I ask the question to be, what does it mean to be saved? This, this is it. What does it mean to have faith? This is it. If we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart, then God has promised us the gift of salvation. In other words, this, if we confess that he is Lord and we believe that he actually can, we believe that he actually can raise the dead to life. If we actually believe that, then we ourselves can experience that. Because, see, we're all dead absent of that. We're all void absent of that. It takes the great restorer to bring us back to life, right? It is the movement of God that moves dead things to life. And so if we confess that only God can and we believe that God will, then indeed we ourselves will experience salvation. Yeah, that is the movement of God all around us. So having faith in God means that we no longer believe that we are in control. We no longer believe that our destiny and our eternity is ours to forge. But we now have moved the responsibility from us to God. This idea that we as a people can kind of reach down and grab a hold and pull ourselves up and, and we, we can make our way through all things in life. If we hang on to that thought, we will be self-dependent, maybe be super successful, but we will die. And we will die absent of eternity with God. Because, see, we can't on our own. We can't raise from the dead on our own. We can't go from death to life on our own. We can't overcome the, overcome the trials of life on our own. We can't climb the mountain of salvation on our own. We can't do anything about except die on the hill on our own. But dying on the hill in faith to God, believing that he can raise from the dead, you and I can join in the eternal promise and plan of God. I'm telling you this today, making it as plain and as clear as I can. If we confess him to be Lord and we believe that he can overcome 
the grave. We can experience forever with God. I'm going to ask you at the end of our message today whether you're in that place. So if you're going to tune everything else out, tune in on that. Spend the rest of this morning asking yourself that question. Asking yourself if you've trusted God. You know, if you were to read back earlier in the book of Acts, uh, earlier in that same chapter we were in, in chapter 16, you would see that there's a story of Lydia who comes to know Jesus, right? And she, she confesses Jesus as Lord. And, 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 and we might think of all the different ways in which we see in Scripture people confessing God. But ultimately, believing is more than an intellectual experience according to the Scriptures. Believing in God is more than just saying, hey, you know, like, I thought enough about it and I've reckoned my mind to realize that it's true. Believing in God has everything to do with fully embodying, fully going in, believing to the point of action. The jailer who, had, who, had, uh, who was the one responsible to make sure Paul and Silas were held captive, he eventually is moved by God to say, I'm going to turn the lights on, gather everybody together. Let's listen to what these guys had to say. And, and as, as they shared the good news of the gospel, what ends up happening, he says, I'm in. I'm in. And he steps fully in. He gathers his entire house. He says, step fully in this with me. As a result, step by step moving in, more than just saying, hey, this sounds so good, I want to believe it. This is, this is to the point of saying, more than, more than, uh, more, more than saying, like, I, I've been convinced. That's the point of saying, I am fully in. And you know, in that story that we just read, it says that not only did they believe in that moment, but there in the middle of the night, they believed and they were baptized. That, that's the step of saying, hey, like, I confess that God has moved here. I confess that I'm not my own anymore, and I'm fully in. That immerse, immersion into the waters is this idea that, that I'm dead to myself, and I'm being raised to life with Christ. Like, do you believe to that point? Do you believe to the point of action? Do you believe to the point of running into town and gathering up everybody you can find and saying, hey, come and listen. This guy tells a story about my life, and he knows everything about me, and he is the only one who possibly could. I mean, do you believe to the point where your feet are moved to action? Do you believe to the point where you would answer the phone? I believe. <laughs> mom, mom, pop can tell you the story over there. I believe because I can't help but to believe. I believe because this is the only way. All right, that was, that was a long, long story for point number one. Point number two, here we go. Restoration requires exchanging our will for his. Restoration requires exchanging our will for his. When Jesus says, come to me, again, I'll go back there. Go back there with me. Matthew, go back there with me to Matthew chapter 11, just so we have it all together. Matthew chapter 11, and starting in the twenty. Fifth, he says, uh, at this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, uh, because you've hidden these things. And then, then 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father. And then 28, then he says, now come to me, 
all you who are, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When Jesus says, come to me, he's also saying, stop going where you're going. Stop going where you're going on your own. Stop turning to what you're turning to. Stop pursuing what you're pursuing. There is a physical shift that has to take place. And that shift is one where we are exchanging the, final, the responsibility for the final destination. You know, I'm on a walk. I'm going where I want to go. I'm heading in the direction I want to head. I might be, I might be weary and, 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 and I might need, find like, feel like I need rest, but I'm just kind of doing what I feel like I need to do. And Jesus says, come to me. Or Jesus says, come over here. Or he says, come in this direction. You know what that means if I'm moving in a different direction? It means I need to stop and I need to change my course. I need to move toward what God is calling me to. And when he, so when he says, come to me, it is an action that is required where we are exchanging our desires for his desires. We're exchanging what we want to do for what he wants us to do. Probably the most famous explanation of this is, uh, in the Bible at least, is in the book of Jonah. You guys remember the story of Jonah? Come on, let me get a show of hands if you, if you feel like you remember the story of Jonah. I won't quiz you, and if, if you're not sure, just raise your hand because other people have their hands up. It'll make you, you know, and then you can read it later. There you go. All right, so in the book of Jonah, you remember the story. For those who remember it, Jonah is, uh, is, is told by God where to go, and Jonah's like, hey, 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 like that doesn't sound like a great idea. You want me to go this way? I don't really want to go that way, so I'm going to go that way, right? I'm going to head in the other direction. And, uh, and then as he does that, we know that, that, that bad things happen. So go ahead. Let's find the book of Jonah in our Bibles, and we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1. Go ahead and find that with me if you can. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said this, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. There he found a ship bound for the port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind of the sea, and, and, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out of his, to his own God, and they threw their cargo into the sea to make the ship lighter. But Jonah had gone below the deck, and he would lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up. Call out to your God. Maybe he will take notice of us. And we will not die. The sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is the one that's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all of this trouble. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea, and he made the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, well, what have you done? 
they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Do you know the rest of the story from there? They eventually decide that they need to throw Jonah over the side. And Jonah's thrown over the side of the boats, and, and the seas come to peace, and the boat is fine, and the people on it are okay, but Jonah is floating away. And you know the story after that. If you don't know the story after that, I won't spoil it for you. Go ahead and read it. But Jonah's story ends well, so go ahead and check the rest of that out. But the whole point of what I just shared with you was this. Jonah knew the direction that he was supposed to go, but he wanted to go in his own direction. And so he went away from what God was saying. God was saying, come over here. And Jonah said, no, 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 no. I'm going to go over there. See, when God says, come to me, when Jesus says, come to me, and he's talking to those who feel like they can't go on anymore, when he says, come to me, he's saying, you got to stop going to what you're going to, and you got to turn to me and allow me to be the one who pulls you through it. You've got to move in my direction. If you believe upon me, if you believe that I have the ability to be God and Lord of your life, then also believe that I can steward the responsibility for your destination. Come to me. Come to me. Restoration, restoration, believing God for restoration requires us. It requires us to go in his direction. John chapter 6 in the 38th verse, this is the way Jesus says it. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of my Father who sent me. Jesus himself said, I don't get to do what I want to do. I came to do what you want me to do, God. Can I ask you an important question real quick? Is that true for you? Is your life summed up by the promise of saying, yes, I will do my father's business. I shared with you all many a times, I, I can be a selfish guy. I can want what I want, and I can want it when I want it. And I wrestle. I wrestle with this, where God says, that's cool, Ray. I'm glad you want it. And it's not bad things you're wanting. But if it's not my will, if it's not my plan, if it's not my desire, it's not for you. Maybe you struggle with that too. Maybe you struggle with just saying, hey, God, I trust you to the point that I'll give up what I want for what you want. I give up my directions and my pursuit and my desires. And watch this. Lean in with me for a minute here. Giving those things up doesn't mean you get less. It doesn't promise you that you'll get more. It just promises you what's right. That God's desire and will for your life is always right. Always right. And if we were in a, if we were in a black Baptist church, we would say, it's always right and it's always right on time. It's always right and it's always right on time. Well, let me bring this message home this morning. The third point uh, as we talk about the God of restoration is this. Restoration leads us to delighting in the Father. It leads us to delight in the Father. Jesus calls us, he says this, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. You probably have heard a lot of stories about what this means about this yoking, but let me let me kind of tell it to you like this. <clears throat> yoke to be yoked together is the action of being tied together. And this action of being tied together specifically to Jesus is one that means we can no longer pull in our own direction. Just the other day I, I realized that my car needed some work. The reason why I realized that is because as I would dry, hold, hold the steering wheel straight, I would veer off the road. Like in order to go straight, I actually needed to turn my wheel to about uh, 11 o'clock or maybe 10, 10 o'clock in order to stay straight on the road. I said, man, there's a problem here. There's a problem here. I got out and I inspected my tires and said, there's a big problem here. My tires have no tread on them, and for whatever reason, my car is veering off the road whenever possible. And it wasn't just that I was falling asleep driving. I want to let you, let you know that. That might have been an occasion once or twice, but not every time. I mean, there was actually something wrong with the car. So I took the car into the shop. I said, hey, guys, there's a problem with my car. I got to drive at 10 o'clock in order to go straight. And by the way, my tires just look like my head. And, uh, and they said, yeah, that's not supposed to be like that. We're going to get this figured out. So as, uh, as, they, as they began to work on it, they realized that not only uh, were my tires completely bald and needed to be replaced, but they, they realized that even after replacing my tires, that my alignment was so far off that if it wasn't corrected, my tires were going to fall back into that same situation again. Why am I telling you this? Because what I'm trying to say is this. Your tires are axled together. If you don't know what, this, what all this means, just, just smile and nod. I, I, I read it somewhere, okay? And so your tires are axled together, right? So they're, they're, they're tied together from left to right, and they're made in such a way that when you turn the wheel, they turn with you, and they turn in the direction that you turn the wheel. Naturally, everybody's car, when you let go of the wheel, should move in a straight direction. That's how your car is made. And when that's not happening, that means something's wrong, usually your alignment. And in order to fix your alignment, they've got to readdress the wheels. And they've got to make sure that they're directly tied together and they're tied in the right direction to your steering harness. And then they've got to lock everything in place. And so they lock everything in place so that everything moves in the right direction together. But watch this. When that happens, it doesn't make things harder. It actually disperses the weight of the load evenly, which makes it a lot easier. Some of us are afraid to be yoked with God because we're afraid all of a sudden we're going to have to carry more or the things that we care deeply about, we don't actually trust that God would carry them in the direction we would want them to be carried. And so we, we say, God, I believe in you, and God, I, I want to learn more about you, and God, I want to walk kind of alongside of you, but don't yoke me together. Like, I've learned to be dependent on my own ability to carry these things. And even when, even when my, 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 my cadence or my walk is slow, my clip is moving really slow, I can still keep moving a little bit because I've just learned how to bear this. And Jesus says, stop. Come to me. Let's exchange what you're carrying be yoked to me. I'm going to have to carry some things that are really heavy, namely a cross. But I'll carry that cross. And if you'll yoke with me, 
if you'll, you'll, you'll be tied to me, you're going to have to carry some things that are really heavy too. But I'll carry them with you. And more importantly than carrying them is I'll make sure we stay true. We will be moving in the right direction. Some of us are so scared to be yoked to Christ because being yoked to Christ literally will mean, God, I trust you to steer us in the right direction. David wrote about it this way, and I'll land here. In the 40th Psalm, you can go ahead and find it in your Bible. I'm going to start reading it. In the 40th Psalm, he said this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, and he heard me. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. And and many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders that you have done. The things that you planned for us, none can compare with, with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you've opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire or I delight to do your will. My God, your law is now written in my heart. David cries out and he says, I delight to do your will. Friends, if you've missed that this morning, then I want to I invite you. At the beginning of the service, I asked you these three questions. Have you trusted Jesus to be Lord and Messiah? Have you given up your will and exchanged it for his will? And do you earnestly believe that God's desires for you are best? My prayer for you this morning is that you can, you can uh, echo David's psalm, I delight to do your will. Because that, my friends, is the product of understanding God as the great restorer. Let's pray. Father, there's, there's just truth here, God, that it may be hard for us to get to a place to say, I delight to do your will because we fear to give up our own. We fear to say, Lord, I need you. We fear to say, Lord, I reckon that only you can. And, and, and even saying that we fear that is, is strange for some of us, right? Some of us might be thinking like, I, I don't know what it, what it even means to fear that. Like, I'm just, I'm lost in that. But God, I believe right now that you desire to be both Lord and Messiah of our lives. You desire to save us 
and you desire to, 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 to shepherd us, to lord us, to, to lord over us, to, to govern us, to, to show us the way forward. So God, I, I'm taking off my yoke. I'm going to break the ties of all the things that I'm yoked to, and I, I seek to be yoked to you. I seek to say, I will go in whatever direction the Lord steers me. And I know that I won't carry these things alone. Yes, I've got brothers and sisters who are a part of this story with me, and they can help carry some of the weight. But at the end of the day, I've got one Messiah. I've got one Lord. And so I yoke my life to you, God. I tie to you. And I'll stay wherever I see you at work until you steer me on. Because I know that trusting in you, moving in your direction, moving with you, in cadence with you, I know that in that, I'll be in the greatest place that I could be. So God, this heap of mess that I've been at times, would you be the restorer who puts my life back together? This wayward soul that I've been at times, would you be the restorer who, who yokes me back to you? This not yet sanctified sinner, would you be the forgiver who allows the brokenness of life to be behind us and restores us to the wholeness and the holiness of life that you have planned and desired for us. And as we take these steps together, the unholy with the holy, yoked and tied to only move in one direction, God, sanctify your saints. And there's anybody here today that doesn't yet know you as Lord of their life, then I pray right here and right now, Lord God, that you would move upon them the same way you did in that jail that night. That they would be moved to a place of saying, I believe. And I'll take whatever step is next. Because I believe, believe upon you for the gift of salvation. That you rose from the dead. And that you will raise me from the dead as well. With hearts that are rightly set upon you and are preparing our lips to say that we delight 